0: The following program is a podcast1.com production.
1: I'm so glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our web address. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. Our deal site, ClarkDeals.com. And Coming up in today's Clarkrageous moment, people getting through security without being screened at the airport, it's Clarkrageous. I'm going to tell you the latest in a story you may have heard about. And later this hour, you know, devices that you buy, all different devices, may be able to be connected to the web, communicating about you. But I have a special warning, if you have children, grandkids, whatever, you need to know about the risk kids are at with always-connected apps or devices, and that warning is coming your way in just 30 minutes. I'm going to go into the continuing, ongoing fight, struggle, market share war, whatever you want to call it. Between the two giants of retail, Walmart and Amazon, Walmart just surprised analysts with much better-than-expected overall sales, and it seems that as everybody else gets weaker and struggles to keep their doors open, right now it's a two-horse race between two behemoths. One that is growing quite rapidly online, Amazon, Another that is growing quite slowly in its traditional business, selling stuff in stores, Walmart, but having huge increases in revenue online, but still tiny online sales compared to Amazon, not tiny, but much smaller than Amazon, but much larger overall with the stores. So when one does something, the other reacts, and then you and I win. So so last week or two weeks ago, Walmart went to the system where if you order $35, you get free two-day delivery on millions of items, way beyond the number that they actually have in a Walmart store. And then you're able to get Walmart prices, and if you hate the whole experience going to a, a Walmart store, you don't even have to go you just go to walmart.com. Well, Amazon didn't like it that Walmart did that. So Amazon now has lowered its minimum order for non-Prime members, which is most Americans, to $35. But with an interesting difference, Amazon has always had a built-in advantage on delivery, been far more reliable with two-day than Walmart. And... Amazon, although prices are higher generally than they are at walmart.com, the delivery has been something that has, particularly for the Prime members, kept them in the net. But again, most people are not Prime members, not paying $100 a year. So Walmart having the superior delivery threshold, Amazon didn't like, and so they've lowered to $35. But get this, Walmart is doing two-day delivery for free, for orders of thirty five dollars or more in your basket. Amazon is doing five to eight day delivery for orders of thirty five or more. So what an odd choice on Amazon's part to give up what has historically been their best advantage over Walmart and offer five to eight day delivery with Walmart offering two. My thing let the games begin. And we'll see how Walmart now answers Amazon. By the way, something you may not be aware of if you are a Prime member, a lot of times when you buy something Prime with the two day delivery, that two day delivery is very expensive for Amazon. Incredibly expensive. So you may get an offer at checkout where you get a credit on a future purchase. If you accept slower delivery than day, so the money they save, they share back with you, and it's a way to encourage you to shop from Amazon again. Just keep your eyes open for that, because it is true that quite often, two-day delivery is completely unnecessary, expensive for them, and not necessarily a benefit for you and me. Margaret is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Margaret. How are you doing?
2: Hello. Hi, Margaret. Hi. Um, I have been getting emails from a company that supposedly can forgive student loans, and I am a co-signer with my granddaughter who's going for a nursing degree. And uh, they've given me a phone number to call, and... I'm wondering if they're legit. I, I don't think
1: they could be. <laughs> they can't be. No. No. So let me tell you what is legit. Uh-huh. So you said this is your granddaughter you're helping.
2: Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: So the borrowing that you're doing to help her is it under the the federal student loan program?
2: Well, she has that on her own, but we also have another company uh, that was just out there when I researched student loans on the computer.
1: Okay, so we need to talk this all the way through beginning to end. So let me first talk about her. When she uh-huh. finishes school, uh-huh. the money that she has borrowed under the Federal Student Loan Program, yes. she will be eligible to have loan forgiveness... Of her loan balance after 10 years because of her choice of profession. Uh Uh-huh. And in a difference from most other people participating in loan forgiveness programs, because Uh of her choice of profession, she will not owe any tax on the money forgiven. So it's a fantastic deal for her when she graduates that she'll be able to go into what's known as a program called Revised Pay As You Earn. And then the clock starts ticking, and then at 10 years, bam, whatever she has left, she never has to pay, and there's no tax due. Okay,
2: okay. So for
1: you, how many more years of school does she have that you're going to help her find? She
2: will will finish in uh, August.
1: Okay, so you're done borrowing for her.
2: Uh, One more time, we have to.
1: All right. I will tell you that the odds are very strong that the rates that you can borrow under the federal student loan program as a parent will Uh be, or a grandparent be much cheaper than you going to a private lender not part of the federal loan program.
2: Uh, Well, she told me she borrowed as much as she could. As much as she could,
1: but you can then borrow. Okay. And so I'd like you to read up on what you're allowed to borrow under the Federal Student Loan Program. Okay. And I'm trying to think if she would be done with her borrowing. She may be able to borrow more under the Federal Program at a higher interest rate than uh-huh. what she pays under the, the main Federal Student Loan Program. I'm uh-huh. digging deep into my memory, so... Um, mm-hmm. I'm a little rusty back in there sometimes. Okay. <laughs> but even if you help her with the loans, it may be better for her to do the borrowing
2: mm-hmm.
1: rather than you doing the borrowing.
2: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, that's what she's been doing on her own for the student loans. And
1: how much have you taken out?
2: Um, overall, probably... Yes. Probably close to fifty thousand.
1: Well, you are one generous grandma <laughs> Wow.
2: Well, I'm paying like a hundred dollars a month interest on on the loans, which doesn't amount to anything, I'm sure, but uh, she's she's a reliable, responsible person, so so I she's
1: planning true. you're saying she's going to even though yeah. you're legally obligated, she's going to pay for them.
2: Yes. Yes, we had that understanding, because she'll, she'll be making a good salary when she becomes a nurse.
1: Okay. So, mm-hmm. I'm looking right now, yeah, she may have maxed out, but you, if you, and I'm not certain if you're able to qualify under the PLUS program as a grandmother, uh-huh. but if you are, the borrowing rate you would pay is 6.3% uh-huh. under the federal program. Do you know what you're paying with these private loans?
2: Yes. uh, It started out at four-something right now. I think it's six-point-something. Yeah.
1: Okay. And are those fixed rates or floating rates?
2: They're fixed rates.
1: Okay. So that's good. So Uh I need to knock it off because you did very well. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You did a good job. Um, yeah, it,
2: it's a very familiar loan program because she has seen it advertised on campus a lot. Okay. So I feel like they're a good a good company.
1: Okay. Well, as far as anybody telling you that you can just make a phone call and they're going to forgive your those loans for you? Right. It's right. not true. Yeah. Oh, but you know what may be true? Because I keep trying to noodle this and think about it. When she goes to work in the nursing profession depending on where she works they may have a program that will pay a portion of her outstanding loans and that would be a great opportunity for her that many times in medicine people will actually pony up money to retain somebody and that that is legit but anybody saying just call this number and you're going to get the process started to forgive your loans, don't believe it. Edward's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Edward.
3: Edward. Uh, Good good afternoon, Clark. How are you? Uh, Oh, fine, thank you. Uh, I trust you're doing well. Having a great day, thank you. Good. First of all, I'd like to have listened to you forever, uh, but I'm actually a first-time caller. I just really wanted to thank you for all your past advice and insights and I sure wish you would go into government or public service to, to apply that knowledge. We could really use it.
1: Well, you're kind to say that. I I think that ship has sailed in my life.
3: Oh, uh, well, I hope not. But anyway, uh, the reason I'm calling is we have grandchildren that are starting to go into the college scene. I really have a two-part question that relates to four-year colleges versus community colleges. Uh, first, with all these uh, student debts that are uh, coming due and facing this generation of students, I was really wondering what the four years—why four-year schools have gotten so expensive—and if anything can be done or should be done to try to reduce these costs.
1: Well, actually, I believe, and this is something some people disagree with me strongly about. I believe the reason that universities have gotten so expensive is because of how easy it is for people to borrow money that we've created (laughs) the very high cost simply by creating what appears to be an unlimited supply of funds so there hasn't been market discipline for the colleges and universities and so now the cost of educating someone has way outstripped the increase in family income over the years and over the last couple of decades so it's my belief that if we heavily reined in the ability to borrow for school that colleges would become much more efficient and you give the example of community colleges there are a number of community colleges around the country now that offer full four-year degrees that offer bachelor's degrees at oh, really? very low costs. yes Florida has been a trailblazer in that. Texas has a program, I guess you'd call it modified community college, where the cost of a four year degree is designed to be ten thousand dollars total. Wow. And so it it's not something that couldn't be done. It certainly could be done. And at the graduate level, Georgia Tech, one of the premier engineering schools in the country, has an extremely affordable Degree that's available online and other schools wonder how could they do it? But Georgia Tech's done it in a way that they can do it without losing money. So I believe it's all about creating that discipline in the marketplace. I think we'd benefit mightily if we didn't have the ability to borrow and borrow and borrow for school. The schools would have to run different institutions then. One of the areas that we've been talking about as a country so much lately is how do we keep ourselves secure? How do we prevent people who wish to bring harm to us from bringing harm? And then the TSA happens.
4: Scams. rip Outrages. It's a clark Rages moment.
1: I don't know if you heard this, but Yesterday, there was a breakdown in screening at Kennedy Airport in New York, and a number of people were through to the other side without ever having been screened by the TSA. People self screened themselves, is there such an expression, and made it through to their gates? And it's stunning. It happened in JetBlue's terminal at new york's kennedy airport tsa says they are investigating and all through the years we've had the issues with the tsa and those are people doing a very difficult job but the government has been the land of misadventure with security and if i were your emperor i would want the tsa to be privatized That there'd be a federal agency that sets standards and oversees them and private security companies would run the security under federal oversight to the standards that they are expected to maintain. I think we would end up with much more robust, much better security in the United States if we went back to privatization for it instead of it being a government function. It just has not worked with the government doing it.
0: Okay, here are some really surprising car facts for you. In Churchill, Canada, residents leave their cars unlocked. That's in case someone needs to escape a polar bear. It's true. And in Sweden, drivers are required by law to keep their headlights on at all times. Day, night, rain, sunshine, doesn't matter. And now, here's another interesting and actually helpful thing about cars that you might not know. True car also helps people get used cars. That's right, TrueCar isn't just for new cars, their certified dealer network also has an inventory of over 700,000 pre owned cars nationwide. So, whether you're looking for a new or used car, you can get real pricing on actual inventory and a better buying experience through the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network. Oh, yeah, here's another fun fact TrueCar customers can see if they're getting a good or great price before they buy. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with their TrueCar certified dealers. So when you're ready to buy that car, new or used, visit TrueCar and enjoy a better car buying experience. Some features not available in all states.
1: Glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Follow me at facebook.com slash clarkhoward. Clark.com is our web address. When you have a question for me, clark.com slash ask. The ability of us to communicate with electronics and them to communicate with us has you know the very positives and then the negatives as well. I absolutely am thrilled with my Google Home device that has more capabilities than I even begin to understand. But it's listening all the time, and it's responding there like an eager assistant. And now the ability of things to listen in and communicate has spread to things for children. There's been a big fuss about a doll called My Friend Kayla. In fact, it's become such an uproar in parts of Europe that it's being banned, like Germany has banned it. And the German government just told parents that if you have a My Friend Kayla doll for your kid, that you are to destroy it, or to at least rip the electronic guts out of it. Why? Because it has the ability to listen and respond to questions, and apparently... Um, Adults not up to good or up to bad are able to hack in and use my friend Kayla to spy on children. Now you think about that with adults who are depraved having the ability to hack into the doll through its Bluetooth connection and then talk to kids and listen in on children playing. Now, this has been something that has been a back and forth in different countries about my friend Kayla, and I've never seen the doll other than in pictures. I don't play with dolls, so I can't speak to whether or not the Germans are right about my friend Kayla, but the issue is front and center for so many... Americans with Roblox if you have a kid who plays Roblox usually it'll be a, a young boy but it could be a young girl or OBLOX if you're not familiar with it my 11 year old talks about Roblox all the time and on it it's an adventure game and it is considered to be safe for young children but the problem from various media reports is that adults are going into chats with young children and manipulating uh, the character that your child has on the screen, giving it certain inappropriate um, anatomical anatomical features and engaging, In conversations with your child you would not want them to have so again we have depraved adults intruding into the lives of children using these electronic gateways that come with toys and apps and causing problems maybe potentially harm to your kids and definitely piercing their innocence and so i just want you to know as a parent with any of these these apps devices games that involve chat we have this is a not a talk we talk with our son about this constantly many times a week and we're constantly guiding him on if we're going to let you do this here are the rules And be aware this is going on. We have had to talk to our son at 11 about things that I would have preferred not to talk to him about yet. But there are creepazoids out there, and you got to make sure you are protecting your children about stuff that they have no way to understand yet about the troubled people, the troubled adults that may be out there. So when you're looking to buy a gift for your child or your kid's asking for the latest thing or your kid wants to go get this app or that app, you as a parent need to be nosy. Go read on the web if there's any dangers to your child. If there are any, how remote they are, how common they are, and what precautions you can take as a parent to keep your child out of harm's way. The other thing with our son is that he can get caught up where he's just losing all track of time, especially on the weekend, with his electronics, having tight control on how much time a child is on electronics, and that you require playtime, physical activity our son has discovered two things he didn't realize he really loved that we put a special emphasis on. Shooting baskets, playing basketball, and also throwing a ball outside. And things that he had never really talked about, enjoyed much, and now all he wants to do is go shoot baskets. And i think that's great because getting kids physically active and away from and we used to talk about being away from the tv now often it's the tablet instead joel's kids were introduced to smartphones when your oldest was what three months old
5: (laughs) no no not at all four months old no they don't really use smartphones for any gaming at all like, have okay. never. So they, we will do uh, video chat with the grandparents, but that's that's it. We don't let them play with devices at all.
1: I didn't realize that. Yeah. I thought you were doing that.
5: No, no. We're. I, I just think it's not good for their brain at that age. Like, we let them watch a little bit of TV, but I think any sort of personal handheld device, just they're not ready for it yet.
1: So my wife rearranged our TV room, and the TV moved to another wall that doesn't have a hookup for the satellite. And she rearranged that room was it May of last year? I've never rehooked up that TV. And nobody said anything. No one's complained. Not yet. Jean joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Gene.
6: Hi, Clark. How are you?
1: Great, thank you. Gene. How can I be of service to you?
7: Well, um, uh... I was, uh, first of all, I'm a long-time listener. of yours. been listening to you for years and really enjoy your, your show. Well,
1: thank you, and, and uh, I'm I was, glad you have enjoyed it.
7: Yeah, and uh, reception is not too good where I live here in Virginia, southwest Virginia, but sometimes on the radio. But uh, I was um, interested in doing my, my taxes myself. I've been doing them with another well-known outfit myself for a few years, but I was looking for one of these, these free tax preparers you know where where you go online and prepare for free sure and my question was how do you know what when one is legitimate there's so many people out there trying to take your money from you
1: absolutely
7: uh, how do you check to be sure that one of those things is legit before you give them all that information
1: that is a brilliant question and the way you handle this gene is you always start off at the irs website Okay. If you go to IRS. Yeah, I, I went there and, yeah.
7: I Sorry? Go there and I couldn't seem to find what I was looking for. All
1: right. So, I do you have a computer that. in okay. front of you right now? I'll walk you through no. it or I'll just talk no, you through No, I don't. All right. So, you can, you can just
7: talk to me. Cause... All right.
1: So, what you do is you go to IRS.gov.
7: Right.
1: And on the very front screen, over to the right, there's a green and blue logo called Free mm-hmm. File.
6: Oh, okay,
1: yeah. And, and you just click okay. on free file, and mm-hmm. you have to have, depending on who you look at, you have to have income level below a certain amount. And the maximum uh-huh. through the IRS link is an annual income of 64000 but not every tax prep software will give free filing and preparation to people up to 64000 okay.
6: Right, but okay. um,
1: it's once you get there. Let me see how many there are this year: two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. There are twelve different tax preparation software firms, ones that okay. are very well known to you, and others that are not that well known. And they tell you, "Okay, mm-hmm. we accept this kind of person. We don't accept that person. We accept people from okay. this age to that age." And so when yeah. you go from inside the IRS website to the software. I think you'll be 100% A-OK.
7: Okay, fine. Well, that's that's what I was looking for, because, you know, there's so many people out there trying to rip you off and take oh, you. Oh, sure. And once they get your information, you know, your goose is cooked.
1: Exactly. <laughs> now, the other thing, Gene, is for people who make more than $64,000, i have talked all tax season about credit karma tax. And credit karma tax is something where you can... Prepare your federal, and if your state has a state income tax, you can prepare those returns for free, and credit karma tax doesn't care how much you make. But I have found out, based on calls that have come in, we checked, and you cannot use credit karma tax in three states, New Mexico, New Hampshire, and Tennessee, because of specific licensing rules that those three states have Credit karma, at least for now, is prohibited from offering free income tax filing in those states. Joe joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Joe.
8: Hey, uh, hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly. Clark, I've got a problem uh, concerning hearing aids. Uh, I'm in the market. I want to buy some hearing aids. But in our city, uh, several times a week, There were several full-page ads with the competitors. Uh, They all offer you something, and uh, I don't know that much about it. Uh, How can I go about it and, and, and get a good pair at a decent price?
1: Well, you know, the United States is almost alone in the world with hearing aids being so expensive. And so if you were overseas... It's kind of typical that for a pair of hearing aids, you'd spend around, oh, 400 to $800. And in the United States, it's common that you pay several thousand dollars for a pair of hearing aids. But now the competition from overseas is coming into the United States, plus some homegrown players. And one that I would like you to look at, Joe is one called ihearmedical.com, the letter I, H-E-A-R, hearmedical.com, and okay. they are selling a hearing aid for $299. This is an American
9: company?
1: Yes.
8: ihearmedical.com.
1: Yes. And so uh, 299 per ear is very cheap. They have an FDA-approved process where you do your your hearing test at home. And the company is from San Francisco. Some people don't consider California anymore to be part of the United States, but it is. And so uh, $299 an ear is great. What I have recommended to people with anything like I hear medical or any of the ones that you would do um, on your own at home is that you start with one ear and see if you like it. Because, you know, the problem with hearing aids, people will spend thousands of dollars, Joe, and then they don't like them and they don't wear them.
8: Yeah, I heard about people uh, complaining about uh, they're not satisfied with them and, and they spend a lot of money on them.
1: So, if you spend 300 and you don't like it, you've lost 300 But if you, so you like can it, buy then. Buy
8: one for one ear. Right. And see if you like it.
1: Exactly.
8: Could you also buy hearing aids uh, from Canada, like people buy medicine?
1: I, people do that in border communities, but you have to be fit for them. So, you'd go across, you know, people who live along the Canadian border can go to big cities there, can, you know, because. So many of the big Canadian cities are so close to the U.S. border. Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal are all so close to the U.S. border. So people do go across. They buy their prescription meds across the border and hearing aids as well. But um, that's really something only for people in northern tier states near the border when you're talking about something like hearing aids. And I promise... This is an industry that's going to go through a revolution and it's going to become common that you will have true FDA-approved hearing aids and processes to get them at a fraction of the cost of what we've seen through the years in the U.S. We were just talking minutes ago about ways to file your income taxes for free and producer Kim just taught me something that was not on my radar. H&R Block has expanded their zero program. That's called H&R Block More Zero. If you go to hrblock.com. It used to be that that was one that only allowed you to do the absolute simplest of tax returns for free, the 1040 Easy and generally 1040 As. But Kim was able to do the full 1040. Had a schedule. She had Schedule A attached to it, and it was completely free for her to do her own income tax filing. So you can add that to the list, no restriction on income for Kim, because Kim working in radio makes um, $2.5 million a year. About that, and you hundred. know they let you do the state as well. For free. free. All with the $2.5 million a year income. Yeah, let me tell you, radio, people don't make that and Joel, we have time for an ask card, don't yeah, we
5: first i'm hoping to get to kim's level one day i want to say want that to make the two
1: and a half million i'm
5: working on it okay. all right but Stephen had a question he says i've frozen my account at all three credit reporting agencies yet discover card claims to give me a credit score with each statement what gives
1: what a great question first of all fantastic you've frozen your credit what that does that keeps people imitating you pretending to be you applying for credit as if they are you However, if you already have an existing credit relationship, the credit grantor, the credit card company, will check your credit file every single month. That is a permissible use, and you are already their customer. So now Discover really kicked this off, but lots of credit card companies do this. They either make your credit score available to you every month on a monthly statement, or if you sign in or use the app for them, you can see your score at any time for free, because they're already getting the score anyway, they might as well let you see it. So that is not something to fret about. They have
0: a legitimate right to see your credit score. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com save. That's quickenloans.com S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. So
1: glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in a half hour, a challenge for your kids start young with the habit of savings, build a habit that hopefully will last a long time or a lifetime. I want to bring this to life for you in just 30 minutes. It's a follow-up to the challenge that I posed to you as an adult last month. Now let's talk about a challenge for children. So you probably heard, there was a study that just came out, where the worst traffic was in the world, where the worst traffic was in the United States, and In the U.S., as you would likely have suspected, Los Angeles ranked as the worst traffic in the United States, and actually was worst in the world, and for anybody who has lived in Los Angeles or spent extensive time in Los Angeles, obviously that's not a surprise. Now, what they do to figure out what's worst in the world, what's worse in the United States, is they do it based on how many hours you waste in a year, the average driver stuck on the roads in that metro area. So Los Angeles, far and away worse than anywhere else in the United States, followed by New York a distant second, San Francisco, Atlanta, Miami, those are the big five for traffic congestion in the United States. I was in a traffic jam in Miami about two months ago that I felt like was going to last two months and so traffic is an issue around not just America but around the world And it's it's maddening. I mean, you think about how people end up uh, out of shape, maybe weighing too much from all the time you sit in traffic when you could be active, you could be out and about, the blood pressure rise. I know I get all upset in traffic, and I'm sure it has a very negative effect, at least for that time period, On my blood pressure. So the answer, survey says, from a new Gallup survey, that working from home helps in so many different ways, you can't even count them all. That people who work from home are more engaged... In their work than people who work in an office so it's so funny but you can actually be a better worker for your boss working from home and avoiding the commute the number of people who work what they call remotely because saying you're working at home you know modern corporate speak you say you're working remotely Gosh. Okay, anyway, so the the percent that now work remotely at least some of the time is nearly half of all workers can spend some of their time at least working remotely. But I have a very, very strong belief that you don't want to work at home 100%. Because if you work at home 100%, you are out of sight, out of mind. You get written out of the script that there is a direct advantage to doing a mix of working at home, or if I use proper corporatees, working remotely or working and working in the office. That it's the combination of the two will make you more productive, and at the same time, keep you front and center and present in people's minds. Now, there are still Neanderthals in some companies who believe that people will just try to get over on you if they're working at home instead of working in the office. And that's more about that person than reality. Because there are always people that will take advantage and not do the level of work they should with people that are in the office. Come on, look around you where you work. And you know the people that are just mailing it in, but they're there. So there is no magic to being more productive sitting in an office where you can keep your thumb on your subordinates. Uh Uh-uh you'll find that people left on their own, most people are much more productive because at work, there's so much wasted time from the interactions people have that are personal and not professional in an office. So I am a huge fan and you dealing with... The opportunity of working from home part of the time, and that is something that I think you could you could ask for. Now Gallup said, the optimal engagement boost in somebody's productivity is when you work remotely 20% of the time, one day out of five. So, how about it? Think about it. One whole day, not being stuck in traffic? Lane is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Lane.
6: Hi, Clark. How are you doing? It's a pleasure talking to you.
1: Well, great to have you here. You are one of our Volkswagen refugees. Yes, I am. Tell me where you are in the process.
6: I've actually turned the car back in. You miss it? um, Do you miss it at all? I do. I do. You know, I used to get 55 miles to the gallon if I drove 50 miles an hour, so I miss that.
1: And which Volkswagen diesel did you have? I had the Jetta. Okay.
6: The TSI.
1: Fun to drive.
6: But Yes, oh, they were. And fast, too. I guess that's why they were so illegal.
1: (laughs) Right, right, exactly. (laughs)
6: So, but how much did
1: they pay you, yeah, the you best, to take it back?
6: Uh, the best way to describe it is, I got the car for two and a half years for nothing. What a it deal for a you! Be, you know, you don't. This doesn't happen very often, does it?
1: No, no. Free transportation is almost an impossible fantasy.
6: That's definitely so. I'm very pleased at that. But here's my question for you. Um, yeah, I've been. I bought the diesel because I wanted to keep it ten years, and that's my philosophy—at least ten years. I'm not. I don't know if I can do as well as you can for like fifteen years, but I'm just thinking. I don't know if I want to buy a new car or even a car now with the changes coming up in the next three to five years. I'm, I'd hate to have a car that is outdated in three to five years. I mean, the diesel I had did not have rear rear view camera, and you know I missed that so much. So I'm thinking maybe lease a car just for two years or three years until the new. The new cars come out. I'm uh, just wondering what your thoughts are on it.
1: So the technology curve, as people in the automotive industry keep saying, it's the uh, it's like a group think quote that cars are going to change more in the next five years than they have in the last fifty. But
6: yeah, that's what you. That's what I think.
1: But I but I would tell you it's going to be a continuous curve of change, and there'll be some dead ends with the changes too. But we are in a period that things are going to change by such significant amounts with cars being autonomous, -autonomous, semi-autonomous, powered a whole different way potentially, and I've been reading from people that are just so bright, and the range of possibilities that these very bright people see in what's going to happen with transportation is so extreme from one, uh, let's call them expert, to another, that I'd say all that's clear is a lot's going to change, but nobody knows exactly how that change is going to truly play out. So, you know, I'm not a big fan of leasing.
6: That's that's what I thought.
1: So can I make an alternate suggestion? Yes. If you were to consider buying, let's say, a two-year-old car, and you keep that car for, let's say, the next three or four years, you would have such advantages built in because, you know, the used vehicle, particularly for passenger cars, the market's flooded with product. And so the prices of used ones a couple years old or so are really depressed right now. You could buy a couple-year-old one, and the first owner's already taken the big depreciation hit, you drive it for a few to several years, and if the change really does accelerate like people in the industry are saying, if you then dump it after, let's say, two, three, four years, you don't take that big a hit in the wallet. But if it turns out the change is not as dramatic as is being said or goes in a direction you're not that interested in and you like what you bought... You just keep driving it. Where if you lease like a vehicle... That,
3: like,
1: yeah. yeah, well, because, you know, Lane, if you lease a vehicle, you have already written how the story ends. But yeah. if you buy a couple-year-old vehicle, you get to write your own ending.
6: I like that advice very much. I think I will do that.
1: Well, I'm glad that works for you, because I, I know that we're in a time with so many questions and so few answers with where we're going with vehicles. I still believe that electric vehicles are going to be much more a part of the market than any of us really get our arms around or realize. But on that, I could be completely wrong. Jordan joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jordan.
9: Hey, Clark, how you doing?
1: Great. Congratulations to you getting married.
9: Yeah, I'm getting married in April, actually.
1: Well, that's great. How can I be of service to you with your upcoming wedding?
9: Well, after the wedding, we are planning on selling the house that we're in right now. And i um, hoping to make about 60000 off of it, which is, which is pretty nice. But I have a question about the capital gains tax. I, I think from what I've researched, it's not going to affect us.
1: Yeah, as long as you have been in the house two years or longer, and you make a profit, even as a single individual, of less than a quarter million, you just put the money in your
9: pocket. That's nice. I like that. Yeah,
1: isn't that great? You know, the rules for what happened when you sold a home used to be so ridiculously complicated, and people without even intending to be tax cheats would mess it up. And so, just by saying you have safe harbor, up to quarter million single, 500,000 married, made the process just so much easier to understand and easier for people to comply.
9: Yeah, that's that's great. Um, So, after after we sell the house, we're going to actually be moving in with um, my fiancé's parents for a couple months while we um, look for another house. So... I, I had some plans to pay off a little bit of debt with that money and then also put down save, um, I was thinking like save 35000 keep that on the side for uh, 20% down on the new home to avoid the... Um,
1: BMI. The, the I like the way you're thinking.
9: Yeah, that I got, just by listening to your show and doing some, uh, doing some research, these things all kind of came into my head. So if we save... 35, right off the bat from that 60, that leaves us with 25. <clears throat> uh, my fiance has 14 in student loans and 11 grand left on her car. Um, but also, I need a car. So what I was thinking was not paying off her car and just buying a car for me flat out. That way we don't have another loan opening up within... Be yeah,
1: like- you don't want any loans opened up close to when you're going to buy a home. I love the way you've thought about all this sequentially. There's no need to rush to pay off her car loan. Car loans extinguish themselves so quickly just with the number of months left to pay them off. And you buying a car for cash is a great idea. Wiping out her student loans, a wonderful thought. And then you still have the money to do 20% down on a home loan, I want to congratulate you, Jordan, because the way you've thought this through is a great way for the two of you to start your marriage together. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. Producer Joel, ask your question
5: for you. What you got, Joel? Clark, Yvonne wrote in and she said, in the spring of 2008, Clark mentioned we should be buying Series I savings bonds. I did. Do I still continue to leave them in or cash them out? I don't need the cash right now.
1: Keep them in for maybe the whole 30 years. If you're not familiar, Series I Savings Bonds, I is for inflation, and those things have been a terrible deal pretty much since right after you bought yours, and today Series I Savings Bonds earn a fixed rate of 0.0%, which is generally what they've been earning for years and years and years. When you bought yours, they earned a base rate of 1.2% plus the rate of inflation. So yours, at least in today's environment, remain a great thing to own. Over the years, starting back in the late 90s, I strongly recommended that people buy Series I savings bonds. They come with the two rates, the fixed rate and the floating rate, The two added together in your case are nearly 3%. You can't earn that today. If you go put in a search and see what your old savings bonds are earning that are Series I, as long as you bought them a good while ago, you want to keep them all
0: 30 years. Hey, it's Jordan Harbinger. For the last 10 years, I've successfully helped people build their self-confidence with my Art of Charm podcast. And now, along with Art of Charm, I'm hosting a new show. It's Podcast One's latest program, The Forbes List. On the show, we talk to the Forbes editors that curate their famous and respected lists, like self-made richest people, billionaires, and highest-paid athletes. We'll get behind-the-scenes insight and information that doesn't make the print cut. It launches this week, on February 16th, so please subscribe on iTunes to the Forbes list, and don't forget to rate us, review, and share. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast
1: it's great you're here with us on the clark howard show where you're empowered with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make clark.com is our web address you're looking for deals check out clarkdeals.com we're hard at work to give you the best bargains the best buys on all different kinds of items for your life and when you have a question for me clark.com ask I am a true incrementalist. I believe that little changes in our lives for the good can make big differences. You know, it's my philosophy about exercise. It's my philosophy about money. Don't try to bite off more than you can chew. Take it gradually. Have a plan. Keep it steady. And a lot of people feel like I do about that, which was clear When we, in January, I know it's trite to do things that tie into people wanting a new fresh start for themselves, but we put up four different uh, challenges and ways for you to start building up a reserve in your life, savings, moving towards investing, and those challenges that we put up were enormously popular with visitors to clark.com. And so when the blogger mom. came up with an equivalent incremental thing for children, I was all over it. Trisha did a thing and you can see a link to what Trisha's done at clark.com. But what she did was she took very simple math, starting with a quarter, a concept that you can teach a child. And I'm just not talking little kids either, because if you show a teenager how incrementally a quarter can lead to real money, it can get their attention. Because I was really thinking about this last night. I was with my daughter, a friend, and my son, and we had just gone to dinner, and we're walking up the sidewalk, and my daughter says, there's a quarter. I immediately stopped and was looking for that quarter to pick up, as was my 11-year-old son and then she laughed, she was pulling our leg, knowing that we would react like Pavlov's dog to picking up that quarter. Obviously, I failed with her that she thinks it's a joke that you pick up a quarter. 17, maybe, maybe I'm going to have to come up with a new strategy. But mom.com took the idea of the quarter And what happens if you step it up a quarter every week? So the first week a kid saves a quarter, the second week they save two quarters, the third week they save three quarters, and on like that. And by the end of a year, last week of a 52-week challenge, they have to come up with $13 that they save in that week. So what's the effect? In one year's time, starting at a quarter that first week, they end up with $345. And to me, and this is a challenge for kids, but to me the whole thing about this is that if you as an adult say, I'm never able to save any money, I can never get it done, and think about starting with something as simple as a quarter, a week, and then by the end of a year being up to saving 13 there you are with over that first year, you've saved that much money, $345. I think that's what the appeal was to when we did the adult challenges, where you ended up with quite a bit more than that. But whatever it is that gets the habit going, I want the habit. You know, you probably have heard me, if you've been a long-time listener, you heard me say that I've been running since I was 19 years old. Well, what I have not talked about is when I was 19, I was a two-pack-a-day cigarette smoker. And... I was having trouble doing physical activity because my breathing was, was affected by it, and I quit smoking and started running. And what I did was every day, I ran every single day, rain or shine, hot or cold, I ran every day. And I started off at a very short distance and stepped it up every day. Till I got to where I was running too much, because you shouldn't do this every day, but I was running roughly five miles every day. I got smarter. I learned to cut it back where I normally ran shorter distances most days and then ran two long runs a week. But the point is, I started off running a very short distance fraction of a mile and then every day ran further you know habits good habits because we don't need to talk about bad habits those those you don't have really think about people <laughs> develop bad habits well enough on their own but good habits do require conscious thought and a plan and remember Never take on too much all at once. Give yourself time to gradually build up a habit, whether it's being physically fit or physically fit, or whatever it is you need to do better in your life. Do it a piece at a time. You know, people who uh, work with people who have really messy houses and it offends other people or whatever, What are you always told? You start with one room in your house or apartment and learn to keep that one clean, spotless. And then as you learn to maintain that, you step on and add a second room and on like that. It is all about incremental, gradual, continuous improvement. And here I am decades later and I still work out virtually every single day of my life and yes i'm probably too obsessed with exercise no doubt i'm glad that that's what i'm obsessed with charles is with us on the clark howard show hello charles
4: hello clark how are you doing
1: today great thank you charles you have a little bundle of joy in your life
4: I do, I do. I have a grandson who just turned one year old, and my wife and I were wanting to find out what would be the best way to uh, go ahead and start him a college fund.
1: So you can already tell this kid is college material.
4: Well, I can't tell that, but I want him to have the opportunity
1: to do that. <laughs> I was just teasing you.
4: <laughs> At a later time.
1: So if you want to put money aside for a grandchild's college, you've got is the best option I know of doing what's known as a 529 plan, a college savings plan that allows you to put aside as little or as much money as you want in a chunk or do it as continuous contributions, typically automatic. Most 529 plans you can put aside as little by automatic deposits, like $15 a month, or you can do... An amount of money just whenever you wish haphazardly over the years what what are you thinking
4: we're looking approximately 200 a month
1: oh 200 Uh, a month
4: right and i was wanting to find out if there's any annual limits to that um
1: yes there's a there's a provision that limits you as a grandparent you're allowed to put in as much as $70,000 Seventy thousand dollars all at once, without violating gift tax rules, to okay, um, as much as fourteen thousand each year without violating gift tax rules. I mean, as long as you stay under the um, fourteen thousand a year, you can go at it, and you okay, can even great. with a, I mean, if you if you're looking at putting huge money aside, each grandparent can put money aside and you won't violate gift tax rules so So if you're thinking thinking twenty four hundred dollars a year you can do twenty four hundred dollars a year uh the next 17 years and you won't run afoul of any uh gift rules at all okay
4: all right and i there there was a lot of different programs that was listed on the web, as far as like the ESA or the Coverdale accounts and things like that. I didn't know about that or a custodial savings account or anything like that. Of course, I know that you have to uh, probably have to be a, a custodial guardian or something of, along that nature to have the custodial account.
1: Yeah. So but the deal opens, is all right. So, so that's a different account. purpose. If you put money, Charles, aside for your grandchild in a custodial account, what happens? is that when he reaches the age of majority, which depending on the state is 18 or 21, you lose control of that money. And if that grandchild turns out not to be as mature as you would hope, they can spend it however they want. On the other hand, with a 529 college savings plan, you can have the money completely under your control. And let's say over the years you end up with another grandchild or two. And this first one decides not to go to college. You tax-free and penalty-free are able to move the benefit to another of your grandkids. And everything the 529 earns is tax-free. Now, you mentioned the ESA, the uh, Coverdell Education Savings Account. That's correct. There are tight limits on how much can go into it each year. If I remember right, $2,000 is the max. The advantage of the Coverdell is that the money can be used for private school or college. So if in your family's culture there's a decent chance that your one-year-old grandchild will go to private school before college, the first mm-hmm. money to put in each year and at the amount you're contributing, I mean you just do the 2000 and put it in a Coverdell Education Savings Account and that would be what you could do and you'd be done And the money would be perfect because it could be used for either purpose. But if private school before college is not likely, look at my 529 plan guide at Clark.com and I'd suggest pick a plan from there. Ted joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ted. How are you doing today?
6: I'm just great. Thank you.
1: Ted, you got some question for me about your cash flow. What are you thinking?
6: Well, Howard, I'm, uh, I'm 65. I started uh, to draw a Social Security this year, even though I'm continuing to work. And I've never been uh, a great investor. I've managed to save a little bit in a 401k, but I feel like I don't have a, I'm not prepared for retirement. And I want to do the smart thing with this money that I'm getting to uh, try to make my retirement a little better. While I have this opportunity to collect both Social Security and a paycheck.
1: So you don't actually need the Social Security money you're getting right now. No. Wow. I would have encouraged you to not take Social Security yet. Um, and you, there's not a strategy like there used to be where you could do goofy things to kind of goose your Social Security benefit. But you might consider instead of looking for how to invest the Social Security money to pay back to Social Security what you've received already and delay taking Social Security. Here's why. Do you know, Ted, that every year you wait, you boost the benefit of your Social Security check by something close to 8%? Right. So if you're going to keep working – you would best be served considering delaying taking social security till your 70th birthday which is when you you got to take it because there's no benefit right. waiting a day past 70 and you would get not only a much larger check at age 70 but any cost of living increases from then forward forward are based on the much larger initial check that you get at age 70
6: Well, I thought about it, but when I ran the numbers, the difference between what I would get and the amount that I would collect between then and now, it seemed like it was like a 10- or 12-year payback.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. And the reason it's worth taking the 10- to 12-year payback is that the big issue for so many of us is that we um, outlive our money and that... If you have made it to age 65, the mathematical probability that you'll live into your 90s has climbed by a tremendous amount. And so you are likely to live longer than maybe you've mentally calculated. Yeah. And so what happens is that let's say it takes till age 82 for you to be back to where you would have been taking the money at 65 – The advantage is that from 82 forward, you're going to have much more money every month. And that's why, because you sound like you're in great health, like you intend to keep working for a good while. So when you really need the money coming every month, is at the point that you're not working anymore? Because otherwise what you're faced with is you've got to figure out at least for these next five years, how you're going to invest it. And you're not going to be able to get the level of return on your money investing it that you get just by delaying receiving your Social Security.
6: Well, if I, if I start dumping a lot more into my 401k, that will alleviate um, higher taxes I'll pay because of the, this money I'm collecting, right?
1: That is true. You'll reduce your taxable income And that's a great idea. And if you can afford to, you dump a lot more in your 401k. And in addition to it, if you still have extra money, you'd be wise to set up a Roth IRA as well.
6: Even at my age?
1: Even at your age. Because, see, the beauty with the Roth is you put in after-tax dollars. So if you've gotten to the point you put in everything you can dump into the 401k and you still have surplus cash... You do the Roth IRA, and you let that money build up, and then that gives you enormous flexibility in retirement, because you have your pre-tax money and your after-tax money, and you're able to do great tax planning year by year in full retirement. So sounds like, other than the fact that you wish you'd save more money for retirement, you're in a good position right now.
0: Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcast1.com. That's PodcastONE.com.
3: I'm Mick Garris. When it comes to horror, you might know me as a writer, producer, and director. But I also love making people open up i'm getting together with the most fascinating people in fright filmmaking
5: i'm going to
3: pick their brains and find out what they know but if they've got any secrets they're determined to keep i have ways of making them talk
0: download new episodes of post-mortem with mick garris every other wednesday at podcast one.com the podcast one app or you can subscribe on itunes
10: what we're learning about the manchester bomber i'm rita foley with an ap news minute The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbor of the alleged bomber.
0: The actual family that had been there, I'd I'd never really come across them in... Bad ways, it was always, even when I said hello, it never seems to speak back
3: to you. It was just like kept themselves to themselves, and that was about it.
10: The British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating. President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican. I'm Rita Foley.